So we're here today with Ekin Doge Chubik. He's a physicist by training. Uh, he did his PhD in applied physics at Harvard and then went on to do a postdoc at Stanford in material science. He is currently deeply embedded in the machine learning community as a researcher at Google Brain. And we're very excited to talk to him today about the intersection between these two fields. This is the Materials and Megabytes podcast. So tell us about how you started to get interested in using machine learning for physics problems. Yeah, so this is a this is a good but difficult question. Um, you know, I heard once people say that um, all scientists, including social scientists, at some level, just want to understand how consciousness works. And um, I, I I kind of I think it's an interesting thought on why machine learning and artificial intelligence might be interesting to like someone from a physics background. But more specifically. It was in 2010 when I met a computer scientist. His name is Amos Waterland, who told me that the future of physics would be in deep learning. And this was quite a controversial statement at the time because the deep learning hadn't become as popular as it is now. Um, a lot of physicists considered artificial intelligence to not be a hard science or like a real physics problem. Um, but it took me a year or so to kind of appreciate how deep Amos's statement was. And this was at a time when um, I was a grad student at Harvard and I was working closely with computer scientists who also were, you know, telling us about machine learning. And I started looking into the literature. I was working with this, um, my close friend and the postdoc at the time at Harvard, Brad Malone, we started looking into the literature. We want to see if machine learning has been used in physics. And we found this paper by Baylor and Parnello, which is now a, a seminal work that really influenced all the um, rest of the machine learning work in condensed matter physics. And they had used a neural network to be able to predict density functional theory energies of silicon in the first paper. And that was a really interesting paper because they had basically, they never called it this, but they were using a kind of general additive model. And it's kind of like a convolution over atoms where you try to predict the energy of each atom with the exact same network for each silicon um, atom in your system. And we basically tried to reproduce their results and we thought that was very interesting. And then we started kind of looking for other applications of machine learning in physics. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're using machine learning in your work these days? So I can kind of talk about it in three different categories. The first category is I use machine learning as an approximation tool. And this is, I'd say, the most common way it's been used in material science and condensed matter physics so far. So as I mentioned earlier, the most common example is you have a set of DFT calculations and DFT is too expensive, so you use a neural network to reproduce DFT calculations with some accuracy, and now you have a computationally cheaper approximation. And people also use this to predict material properties. So, you know, instead of calculating the band gap or... Um, lithium ion conductivity of a material, you use machine learning to predict based on a training set you use to train it. So this is kind of like the first category of use I have that I think other people also use. The second one 
is, and I've tried this a lot during my PhD, I train a machine learning model on some physical phenomenon, and then I try to study the machine learning algorithm itself to try to understand how a neural network, say, can learn physics. And to be honest, this hasn't been as successful or it hasn't given us as surprising results as I wish. Um, so the things I tried was, say, I tried a, I trained the baylor Parnello architecture, and then I tried to understand how the baylor Parnello architecture can reproduce DFT energies, or I trained a fully connected neural network on kind of predicting the Schrodinger's equation eigenvalues and try to understand how this is possible. And, and this turns out to be really hard because neural networks are very flexible functions, which is why they're so useful in so many different fields, but at the same time, they're very hard to make sense out of. And this is not just in physics, but also in machine learning, I think this is a general problem. And sorry, so that was the second category. And the third category, and this is my favorite, is when I divide a physics problem into two, part of it that can be studied with traditional physics models, which I can go into more detail later, and the other part that cannot be, like simple equations, simple, simple differential equations, simple descriptors that come from traditional physics is not sufficient to express this part of the problem, and then I combine them. And I think this has been the most fruitful so far because it helps us come up with physics models with machine learning that cannot be modeled without machine learning. Uh, so, so far, I think it's been these three different categories. So it sounds like augmenting traditional physics methods with machine learning has been very successful for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that train of work? Yeah, sure. So solids are often idealized as crystals in material science, mechanical engineering, and physics, and that's like a, kind of like the simplest way of studying solids. But they can get more complicated if you have, say, grain boundaries, polycrystals. Um, and it can get even more complicated if you have disordered structures, like amorphous solids, where there's no periodic order. And that, that's basically been the topic that we use machine learning and got very interesting results. And to kind of you know, go into the history of this is, when you study a crystal, crystals will have defects, and those defects will basically govern a lot of the mechanical and electronic properties of the material. And this is a pretty advanced way of studying solids at this point, and you'd like to do something similar for disordered solids. But the problem is, unlike crystals and disordered solids, it's not clear where the defect is. It's not clear how you would distinguish between different structural regions. And by structural, I'm talking about atomistic structure. And, you know, since the 70s, there's been really interesting papers that assumed a disordered defect, like assumed that you could find a defect in a disordered structure. And once you assume it, then you can do really interesting physics. So, you know, for the past 40 years, there have been papers on this. But the problem is we can't really find the defects. And, you know, the way I'm phrasing this problem now sounds perfect for the category three of machine learning application I talked about earlier, where you combine traditional physics models with a machine-learned data-driven approach. So the idea here was to use machine learning to find the defects, which have been impossible to find without machine learning, but then connect those defects that were given by machine learning with the traditional physics theories that have existed for 40 years, as I said, where people just hypothesize these defects. 
And this is very exciting because we're training a machine learning model on finding a defect, but then we end up using the machine learning model on a completely, in a completely different direction where we just come up with um, dynamical models for these disorder structures where one of the variables is a machine learned representation, a machine learned variable. And how this worked out was kind of lucky for us. We originally just tried to find defects using machine learning. And you know, it turned out that we could find them with much better accuracy than previous approaches that did not use machine learning. But then we were trying to understand how the machine learning model figured out what a defect is. And through you know, several months of analysis, we realized that it was finding the energy barrier to rearrangement for each atom or for each particle. And now to a physicist, this sounds very intuitive because if you're going to try to predict which atom is most likely to rearrange, which atom is in the most defective region, you would say, okay, just tell me their energy barriers. But the problem is energy barriers are very hard to calculate or even hard to define. But since we gave this machine learning the task of finding these defects, just automatically it learned what an energy barrier is and it started giving us the energy barrier for each atom in a disorder solid. And once we noticed this, and as I'm saying, like we didn't have this goal in mind originally, we didn't think that machine learning could find energy barriers, so we kind of got lucky. But once we did realize this is the case, then we could do all the interesting physics, because we know pretty well how, given an energy barrier of an atom, how long it will take for it to rearrange, or how stable it is, and if it's surrounded by other atoms with different energy barriers, how they'll interact. So this gives us a very powerful tool now to kind of study all of these disordered solids. So we ended up applying this to non-equilibrium aging, to polycrystals, where the grain boundaries are almost like glassy, very complicated structures. And we applied them to granular systems, colloids. So once we figured out, you know, that it was finding these energy barriers, we could apply it to all the different systems and we could try to answer a lot of different physics questions. What have you found to be most challenging about using machine learning for physics? Okay, so I'll give this a funny answer and then a serious answer. The funny answer is um, just trying to get physics reviewers to appreciate machine learning has been the hardest because uh, almost every paper gets this one review that says something to the effect of you have a training set already, you already know the result, why are you training a model? Like, what could machine learning give you in that case? Um, well, you know, that, that was a funny answer. The serious answer is, I think a big problem today in machine learning is machine learning is purely used as an interpolation tool, and it seems like people in computer science aren't too worried about this, but I think this is quite problematic for us physicists because I think, in general, when we talk about learning or modeling a system, we want to be able to extrapolate. Like, we love, we love Newton's laws because they work for planets as well as a soccer ball. And, and I think this is a very important philosophical problem. And the, if I can give an example about the uh, Baylor-Parnell architecture for DFT. So let's say you use machine learning to find a force field for silicon. And it works really well on your training set and validation set and your test set. The problem is all of these data, including the test set and the validation set, came from a part of the phase space of silicon that you already know about. And I'm saying you know about it because you were able to simulate it using DFT and get their energies and forces and such. But the problem is you usually want to use the force field on a part of the phase space that you're not familiar with. 
This could be a different phase of silicon. It could be a different grain boundary of silicon. Like in general, there's this, I think, conflict between what you know and can put in the training set and what you want to know, which you cannot put in the test set because you, you know, don't know what you don't know yet. And this is also true for materials design, where um, your training set will, by definition, be materials you simulated, whereas you want to be able to use a machine learning algorithm to find materials that you have not simulated yet. You want them to be novel. And I think, I think it's a very major problem that people are not thinking about yet. And I think, hopefully, it will be solved by two things. One, computer scientists will start valuing extrapolation more and maybe generalization in a you know more general sense. And two, physicists will um, start noticing this problem and they'll also try to change machine learning in a way that works for science uh, better. So do you think problems and applications in physics have had an impact on the development of machine learning itself? I think so. I think, um, and it's probably the reason a lot of physicists are working on machine learning now. There are a lot of similarities between, say, the lost landscape and the energy landscape, which belong to machine learning and physics, respectively. And even the, you know, the very basic ideas like Monte Carlo simulations and Hamiltonian Monte Carlo, which uses concepts from energy and temperature. And just in general, like this statistical thinking that kind of stem from statistical physics, like the Boltzmann distribution and the, the Boltzmann machines. I think in general, it seems like physics has had quite a bit of influence. I remember, I think I read um, Jeffrey Hinton say that a physics undergraduate education might be the most appropriate for a machine learning scientist. I think it was in a dreaded AMA. And and it just in general, I do see around me a lot of physicists that very comfortably switch to machine learning. So conversely, do you think there's problems and applications in machine learning on, or the development of machine learning theory that's had an impact on the development of physics problems? So unfortunately, I'd say not yet. But I'm actually very excited for the kind of impact machine learning could have on physics. Because I think in physics, at least in the fields of physics that I've been involved in, I think we're missing out on very fundamental aspects of the scientific method. For example, very often you'll see a method paper or a theory paper that will develop the method on a single material or like a single phenomenon. And then it will test it on the same phenomenon. And then if it works they'll kind of call this, you know, method or theory correct. But kind of like if you think about machine learning and statistical validation, we often need a training set and a validation set and a test set. Because if you just have a single data set and you use it for training and validation, the problem is you're probably overfitting. And, and I think physicists have been comfortable not having a validation or test set because physics models are usually small, and you might expect small models to generalize better, kind of like from a you know, pack learning framework. But it also, I think, allows physicists to kind of not validate their models accurately and independently. So I'm hoping that just by mere fact of having to do machine learning and having to use a validation set and a test set, it will kind of help them get into this you know, habit of having a held out set to test their theories. Because... You know, as much as physicists would like to think that physics is like the ground truth, in many ways we're just modeling the universe. And 
from an information theoretic perspective, if you're trying to come up with a model for some data you observe, you really need to have a held out set to make sure you don't overfit. So that's one of the things I'm excited about. If more physicists um, start using machine learning and kind of take over some of these um, good habits. So kind of as a follow-up to that, are there, do you have in mind any problems in physics where you're worried about overfitting? Or like you're worried that our current theories might have just been overfit to the, um, the examples that we've, we've based our knowledge on? Yeah, so, so I worked myself on um, kind of batteries and lithiation and you know, there are different ways of modeling batteries, cathode materials, or anode materials. Like, you can use ab initio methods like DFT, or you can use finite element method, you can use empirical potentials. And what usually happens in a lot of papers is, and I might also be guilty of this in some papers, you kind of come up with a modeling approach that reproduces the experiments, and then that's the papers. But the problem is you already knew what was happening from the experiment, and you're basically just overfitting to it with your theory. You know, ideally, you'd like to come up with a theory that gives you predictions that experimentalists can later on verify. And I think this happens quite rarely. I mean, personally, I can count it in a, like, on one hand, cases where theory was predictive and uh, preceded experiment. And, and this kind of stems from the same problem. Like, if you don't have a validation set and you're just overfitting you're only going to be able to reproduce your training set, which is experiments. So as a corollary to you know, having a held out set, you hopefully will be able to predict things for experimentalists, which will, of course, make theory much more um, useful. So that's a pretty big statement. Are there any problems in physics, um, examples of problems in physics that you're thinking about where you're worried about um, how our current theory might be overfitting to just the examples and observations that we've already made? I think maybe we can think about um, how DFT has been used in condensed matter physics and material science. My impression is that in most papers that use DFT, the conclusion is that the modeling can understand or reproduce the experimental results, but it's quite rare to see a DFT paper kind of predict something new that experimentalists can later on validate. I mean, this does happen. For example, a good example of this is um, three-dimensional topological insulators, as far as I remember, were first um, shown to exist, like the specific materials, like uh, bismuth telluride and such, using DFT, and uh, that was great. And um, there's been other work from Evan Reed's group at Stanford um, about 2D materials and their phase transitions. But again, it's, I think it's quite rare, unfortunately. And um, I, I've also heard my experimentalist friends complain sometimes that they'll um, get a theoretical prediction and they'll do experiment, they'll be wrong, and then the theoretical prediction will suddenly change in a day and then it'll be correct with, according to the new experimental result. I think, um, I think kind of like getting these good habits from statisticians or machine learning scientists where we really try to be predictive and we evaluate a model's success by its predictive ability, I think would be very good both from scientific hygiene and in terms of making theory more relevant and useful for humanity. So what do you think are the opportunities? So what like exciting problems in physics that machine learning hasn't been applied to yet that you think you know the next generation of students should be working on? 
So in general, I would say I'd be very happy to see any application where machine learning isn't being used just as an approximation tool. And I actually thought about a heuristic for this. Um, just ask yourself this question. If computers were a thousand times faster, would you still use machine learning for your problem? And I think the answer is no for most of the machine learning applications. Like, you know, if you're trying to use neural networks to create a force field, if DFT was a thousand times faster, you wouldn't need a force field anymore. Um, similarly for materials design, if computers were a thousand times faster, you probably would just use DFT or um, GW instead of using machine learning. And of course, there's still a place for machine learning as an approximation tool, but what I'm really excited by is using the statistical inference properties of machine learning and embedding them as just variables into the physical modeling. I think in general, anything in this direction would be really cool. Um, specifically, like we can talk about, for example, high temperature superconductivity. I mean, theorists have been theorists have been working on it for a while. It just seems like a really complicated problem. It seems to have a lot of different aspects of it that have been, you know, challenging to kind of bring together and unify. And this could be maybe a direction for machine learning, not by itself. I don't think you can just, you know, collect a database of superconductors, plug it into a neural network, and understand high temperature superconductivity. But it could be possible to just hide all the complexity into a machine-learned representation and then try to come up with, you know, very nice theories that explain the general behavior of high-temperature superconductors. And another thing is something I've already been working on, which is the glass transition. Glass transition has been, again, very challenging to understand. There's a lot of different parts of it that, you know, it's hard to make sense out of. And, and again, part of it comes from just the sheer complexity of atomistic structure and maybe machine learning can be used to understand kind of how it happens in combination with physics. So now that you've been embedded for a while in one of the centers of machine learning theory here at Google Brain, what do you see as exciting kind of developments in machine learning theory that could be useful for physics problems? Yeah, so in general there's some really interesting things happening in machine learning and um, one of them is really popular, uh, GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks. And um, I find GANs really interesting because it's kind of a different way of working with neural networks. So instead of having a data set and you just, you know, train the neural network to reproduce the data set as well as possible, you kind of actually have two neural networks and they kind of try to compete with each other. And it's kind of like a min-max problem. And I think that might just be very exciting to use in physics. I think there's been some GAN papers in physics, but um, I'm not sure if they reached um, any insight or interesting results yet, but I think I think there's high potential here just because it just seems like such an interesting way of thinking about data. And I think in general also generative models might be very interesting from a physics perspective, and GAN is an example of a generative model. And um, Another one is transfer learning. So, so far I've talked a lot about generalization and extrapolation and kind of um, understanding a system that can make predictive um, statements. And I think transfer learning is very exciting for physicists because in general we don't necessarily want to just learn from a data set and use it as an approximation tool, um, but instead we want to learn from one task that might be easier to get data for and then apply that understanding with some um, kind of scientific 
enhancement to another data set. So for this reason, I think things like transfer learning, semi-supervised learning, unsupervised learning might be very interesting. And finally, on a more um, kind of technical level, I think the new paradigm of doing you know, computation for machine learning, where, you, where the scientist writes down a model or a graph, and then the derivatives of this graph is automatically given to you. I think that's really powerful. So TensorFlow, the machine learning package that Google develops, is an example of this. You just state your graph, computation graph. In most cases, it's a neural network, but it doesn't have to be. And then TensorFlow will just give you all the derivatives of variables with respect to each other. And then you can use these derivatives to train your neural network, of course. But I think physicists can be more creative and use these gradients to study system in a different way. Um, similarly, Dougal McLaurin developed this package called Autograd that just takes NumPy code, regular NumPy code in Python, but then will calculate all the gradients for you automatically. I just I assume these have very high potential for studying systems since gradients in general are very important for us. For example, in um, Alan Asperger-Guzik's group, they recently published a paper that implements Hartree-Fock calculations, but in a fully differentiable way. So you have you know a code base now that can do Hartree-Fock, but also can tell you derivatives of any of the parameters with respect to each other. So if you need to do hyperparameter tuning, this is kind of not the language physicists use, but you know, in all of these physics calculations, we have hyperparameters. And um, you can kind of tune those hyperparameters for very uh, cheap now, given an experimental data set or given a, you know, kind of optimization target that you have. So now that you've worked in uh, machine learning for a while, what do you think we can do to kind of advance this interdisciplinary collaboration between the two fields, you know, physics, machine learning, how can we, um, what can physicists do to help advance the development of machine learning solutions to problems in their field? I think there are very exciting opportunities in this interdisciplinary space between um, kind of physics, engineering, and machine learning. And I'll kind of talk about it in two different ways. I think one, physicists can help machine learning scientists help physics, so kind of in a, you know, kind of make their data sets available, make their code, the data generation process available online, and express why their problem is interesting, not just to someone in their subfield, but to someone from outside, like from machine learning. I think those things can make it much more likely and easier for machine learning people to kind of get in and try to help physicists with their data problems. On the other hand, I think physics has a very unique structure to be very relevant to machine learning in itself because, um, for example, in machine learning, generative models are very important and they're very hard to develop usually. And part of the problem is, like, say you're working with a vision data set and your data set has pictures of cats and dogs and horses, it's very hard to come up with an underlying distribution for pictures of animals. Whereas in physics, we have systems like Ising model where the underlying distribution is very well defined, like using Boltzmann distribution, we can exactly tell you what the probability of observing a state is. And this might be a really good test bed for machine learning scientists to evaluate their generative models because when they when the generative model kind of generates a state, you can actually measure exactly the probability that that state should have been measured at a given temperature. And I think in general, just kind of like 
being able to create these noise-free, well-defined data sets might be the way to develop interesting machine learning models for the future. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Materials and Megabytes podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Materials Computation and Theory Group at Stanford University. We look forward to having you join us again next time.